thank you for leading us in, in prayer this morning and for reminding us of the number of, the number of really serious situations in the world around us where we would love to see God working a miracle. Um, before we begin this morning, I should have said right to start the service, it's a really hot day. If anybody needs um, to go and get um, some water, our kitchen is just out the door and just or through that door in the corner and round there, please do feel free to get up during the sermon and go and get a drink, or if you need to go and get some fresh air, then please don't sit there and suffer. Um, we, we would not want that. Um, please do feel free to, to go, and get, um, uh, go and get yourself cooled down. So over the um, past uh, few weeks, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and we've been exploring the Beatitudes together, and hopefully we've been, we've been learning something more about these, these wonderful teachings that Jesus gave us, the, the teachings that he gave us in, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's always, they're part of a, a, a bigger teaching of Jesus. Um, but the Beatitudes are so rich in, in what they say to us. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking a little bit about the topic of, of mercy. And it's not a word we use very often, is it? Mercy. We don't tend to talk about mercy an awful lot. Um, I know that um, growing up, to me, mercy was a game that we would play in the playground where you would choose um, an opponent and you would link fingers and when someone said go... Basically, the aim was to force the other person to say mercy, to plead for mercy. And you did that either by sort of trying to twist an arm or a well-aimed kick or something like that or pull them towards you. And, and it was just trying to inflict pain on the other person and trying to avoid being, having too much pain inflicted on you. And you desperately didn't want to get to the point where you shouted, mercy, because that meant you'd lost. Mercy was something you, you, you cried out for, you pleaded for. Mercy wasn't something that was given cheaply. And so when I came to faith and came across this word, I started going to church and found the word mercy was suddenly popping up every now and then. Um, it was a concept I had to revisit. And it was a concept that I realised that I didn't really know an awful lot about. Jesus, when he talks about mercy, doesn't encourage his disciples to go and, and wrestle opponents into some sort of submission until they're in so much pain that they agree to follow Jesus. That's not the way that, that salvation works, thankfully. Instead, Jesus, when he, was, when he was teaching us about mercy, he came out with this verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now that immediately gives us a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Because what that says is that if, you're, if you show mercy to others, you will receive mercy. In other words, it's a trade-off, it's a deal, it's an agreement. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. And yet, every week we talk about God's unconditional love and uh, the, the unmerited favour and God's grace. And that doesn't tie up, does it? Grace is not a deal where God says, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. You, you go and do this work and this is what you earn. It doesn't work. That's, 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 not, that's not what scripture, scripture teaches. And so, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, that suggests that those who aren't merciful won't be shown mercy. That suggests that this is 
in complete contradiction of the, the doctrine of grace. It also suggests, of course, that it's totally unachievable. Because that teaching, that teaching suggests that you have to be merciful at every opportunity. You have to show mercy. You can never once in your life have a, have a time where you have the opportunity to show mercy, but you've been so, um, so consumed with, with, with anger or with hurt or with pride or with, with hate or whatever it might be that you think, no, I'm not going to show mercy. No, they can, they can suffer. <laughs> and I think all of us, fallen as we are, have at some point in our lives failed to show mercy. That's why we need Jesus. We're not perfect. If we were, then, then we wouldn't need a saviour. And so this gives us a bit, of a, a bit of a problem. But the way that we need to understand this command is by putting the brakes on for a second. And rather than looking forward when we're reading scripture, we, we often, our eyes, like with any literature, just run away with us. We just read on and on and on. But this is a point where we need to stop to, to really grasp what Jesus is saying here. We need to stop <coughs> and look back at the Beatitudes that we've already read. This is a time in, in, in Jesus' oration when perhaps he, he paused and just allowed people to think about the statements with which he just bombarded them because blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy at this point when we've read or listened to the beatitudes that have gone before this we have stopped and we've studied and we've reflected and we've challenged we've thought about the poor in spirit who they are, what they look like, how perhaps, without realising it, without meaning to, we, we react negatively to the poor in spirit when we go out into the world. We've looked at an example of someone in, in Scripture who was poor in spirit, someone who was, who was outcast by society. And then we've looked at how Jesus reacted to her when she came in off the street washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, anointed his feet with oil. And we've realized that we need to change the way that we look and treat the poor in spirit. We looked at those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we, we stopped, didn't we? And we, we said, what, what is the thing that causes God to mourn? What is the one thing in the world that grieves the heart of God above all else? And of course, it's sin. That was the reason that he, he sent his son into the world to teach us, to lead us, to die for us, and then to, to rise again and give us the opportunity to have this wonderful opportunity to, to, to have a relationship with our creator God, our heavenly father, that one day we will join him in the kingdom of heaven. And so we realized that this is not simply a, a gentle word of comfort in the ear of those who are mourning, but this is, this is a, an instruction almost to all of us that we should mourn our own sin. We should regard our sin as something that is so hurtful, so upsetting, that we mourn it. So we had to do something to change the way that we, that we treat, that we regard our own sin. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We thought about meekness and how it's not actually weakness. It's, it's humility. It's the strength to be able to, to stand up to what the world throws at us without compromising our Christian values, but also demonstrating love and compassion and care to those around us. We remembered the, the two men who went into the temple to pray, the proud tax collector who thanked God that he was so wonderful and that he wasn't like all those other people. And then we remembered the tax collector who, sorry, the Pharisee who did that. The, the tax collector, of course, stood there, looked downwards, wouldn't even lift his head because he just knew he had to stand there and present himself to God, a sinner. And we looked at humility Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It, it forces us to, to re-examine our own prayer life, our own attitudes to those around us, and to, to make sure that, that we follow what Jesus is teaching. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we spoke about the, how, how in order to be filled, we have to be empty. We must be prepared to empty ourselves of all, all pride, all satisfaction, all, all ambition. Empty ourselves of everything that the world tells us we should be full of and instead say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm empty of that. My life is a vessel for you to fill, for you to guide, for you to use. Please do that. And then we looked at different examples in Scripture of where Jesus had found something empty or broken and filled it, and used it, and glorified it. Every one of those Beatitudes that we've looked at so far is a challenge. Every one of them causes us to look at our own lives, our own self, our own attitudes, and approach to various situations, and to recognize that sometimes our response, our reaction is totally opposite to the one that Jesus would have us give. And so when we get to this verse, our whole understanding of the world has been shaken. Our whole approach to life has been, has been challenged, possibly even changed, especially for the, for the first century listeners, the people who were hearing this teaching from the words of Jesus for the first time. They're suddenly standing there thinking, I've, I've, I need to process this. I'm, I'm glad there are scribes writing this down because I need, to, I need to hear this again. This is so counter everything I've ever been taught. This is so counter what the world tells me, what, my, what the Pharisees tell me, what my temple tells me. This is, this is so different. I need, to, I need to work out my response. Because you see, suddenly, sin has been separated from the sinner. Jesus has, has taken all of these different situations. The person involved, they will be blessed. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be part of the kingdom of heaven one day. But first of all, we need to deal with the problem. Jesus separates out the two. And so once we get into the mindset of doing that very thing, as we go out into the world, we have a different take on it. Because suddenly the, the, 
the, the anger or the, the selfishness or the pride or the irresponsibility that we see in the world, we need to start learning to separate from the individual. We need to recognize that actually the world is full of people who are playthings of the enemy. The one who does not want love and grace to rule supreme. And so we go out into the world and rather than seeing someone who is full of anger, we, we, we pity that person. We're not repelled by them. We want to reach out to them. We want to be the one who sits and listens and gives them time and invests in them. Whereas perhaps before we would have been keen to avoid them because they're angry and we don't know what, what, what they're going to do any given day. And so suddenly we become the merciful ones because of the mercy that we've been shown. We recognize the mercy that, we've been, that we have received from, from God. We recognize that we can, we can be consumed by our own sin, but God gives us a way out. He, he looks at us with compassion. Now, compassion is sort of a, an emotional response to, a, a, um, to suffering. God sees us as sinners, yes, but he also sees us as, as suffering. He says, I don't want you to suffer sin. I want, you to, I want you to be free of that. And here, there's your treatment plan. This is how you do it. It's up to you whether you take it or not, but there is a way out of this suffering. You don't have to be consumed and overtaken by it. When we realize that, when we realize what God has done for us, the mercy that he's shown to us, we go out into the world, and what's our response going to be? It cannot be one of, of the Pharisee, thank the Lord that I'm not like them, our response to our God has to be, I want to show mercy to others. I feel so blessed. I feel so wonderful. I so, feel so released on the back of, of this, this wonderful blessing, this wonderful mercy that I recognize in Jesus. I want to go out and show that to the world. I want to go out and, rather than criticizing somebody, Recognize their attributes and strengths. Recognize what they do do rather than what they don't do. I want to celebrate someone's achievements, but, but not, not from a, the point where I'm going to put them on a pedestal and worship them, just from a, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to encourage them and make them feel good. I'm going to share this mercy with them. So let's just be clear. Jesus is not saying this is a trade-off. You will only receive mercy if you show mercy. He's saying the merciful are merciful because they've recognized the mercy they've received. Those who give mercy recognize the mercy they've received. This isn't a trade-off. This is our, our response to what Jesus has done for us. Our response to the power of the love of God. It begins with compassion. We should be a people of compassion. We should, we should respond to the world around us. When we, when, we, when we think of the different situations that Helen raised in the prayers, whether it's individual people or whether it's these global issues, we should feel compassion. We should feel moved. 
And I know that, that, that many of us do. We can sit and read a newspaper or watch the news or read something online and, and there is, there is this, this feeling inside us. We know that God is not, not pleased with the state of affairs in the world. We feel this compassion. And then we do something about it. Now, when it's a global, a global issue, sometimes it's hard to do something, to feel that we're making a difference. We might, we might give money, we might go and serve um, somewhere, we might, we might offer help of some sort, and there are all different ways in which people do help and support these, these causes, and, and every tiny little grain of sand that we add to the pile, it might feel insignificant, but we're doing our bit. We're trying to show mercy. Don't forget that we should never feel insignificant because it's not about us, it's about what God can do through us. And so when we have that desire to, to show mercy and when we, when we get up and do something about it, it is never a waste of time. It is never an empty effort. We have a God who can, who can take our, our, our speck, of, speck of dust and he can make a mountain out of it. So our compassion must elicit some sort of response. And then, it's interesting. When we look at some of Paul's letters, there is a pattern that emerges when he opens his letters with a greeting. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. That statement is, is used in several of Paul's letters as, he, as, as his opening gambit. Grace. Grace is the, the recognition of sin in the world. Mercy. Mercy is, is, is us actively trying to, to separate in our minds the sinner from the sin. Loving the person, hating the deed. That's, that's one way it's been put in the past, I've heard. Grace, mercy, and peace. For Paul, when we, when we show mercy, there is a resulting peace. He's not saying that, we, that we, we solve the situation, that we solve the problem. But it brings us peace. Because we've, we've reacted We've reacted to the compassion that we feel. We haven't just thought, oh, that's a shame. Oh, how awful. Right, what are we doing now? We haven't had that sort of um, uh, couldn't care less attitude. Instead, that's a shame. That's awful. What can we do to, to help? How can, we, how can we help this person or this situation? And then we have the inner peace because we've done something. We've reacted in a way that Jesus wants us to react. And when we do that, even though we might still look at the problem, it might still be there, the suffering might still be happening, we at least have done our small part in, in alleviating the situation, doing what, what Jesus wants us to do. So mercy separates the sinner from the sin. And I've just got... Some examples where, where we see that. Some are from, from Scripture, some aren't. Um, I don't know how many of you are, have studied the Reformation, but the Reformation is fascinating, um, I, I, I believe. Um, 
Normally, when we talk about the Reformation, we talk about Henry VIII and, and things that went on at the sort of the, the higher level. Um, but actually, there was, a, there was a thing called the Low Reformation as well, which, which was um, when, when you look at the Reformation, God's timing, you can't look at it and say, well, that's a coincidence. It's just God's timing is perfect. While all the political wranglings were going on and, and the Church of England was... was being created and breaking away from the Catholic Church and everything was happening um, that, that you know about when you do the tour of Hampton Court Palace. Um, what was happening as well is that you had people like William Tyndale who were translating, uh, translating the Bible. And he wasn't translating it from the, the, the Latin. He was going back to the original Hebrew and the original Greek. And he was suddenly realizing that what had been taught by the Catholic Church had been, had been in places, not totally, but in places, twisted slightly misunderstood and that actually um, uh, people needed to be able to read scripture in their own language and so he went about, he's a very clever guy, spoke many, many languages and um, he went about translating the Bible. He was, um, he was a very interesting guy, I won't go into his whole story, but um, he ended up getting burnt at the stake as a lot of people did in those days. Um, Tyndale was, um, was burnt on the, on, at the stake, um, I think, in a place in Belgium. And as he died, what do we notice from his closing words? He cried out, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. The King of England was the one that had signed his death warrant, the one that had sent out the, the hunter force to, to find him, and they, they pursued him across Europe, and eventually they arrested him, and, and he had a bit of a sort of a trial, and he was being burnt at the stake. And as the flames, he could smell the smoke, he could feel the heat. What, was, what came out of his mouth? Not, Lord, condemn the King of England. Lord, massacre these people. It wasn't anger. It wasn't hatred. It wasn't vengeance. It was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. In other words, Lord, please just make him see. Make him see what, what needs to be done here. Tyndale has a prayer of mercy. They were his, his last words. In Acts chapter 7, we read the account of Stephen being stoned to death. Stephen has just preached in Jerusalem to a, an angry, baying mob, and his words have done nothing to, to calm them. In fact, they have, um, they have inflamed them to the point where they've taken him out of the city. Pick up rocks. The scripture says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen knew he was, he was going to be stoned to death. Being stoned to death, barbaric, an absolutely horrific way to die. Stephen's last words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. That's a prayer of mercy. He separates the sin from the sinner. He is praying for the sinners as they are carrying out the sin, but he is separating the two. It's mercy. What, a, what, a, what an attitude. But Stephen wasn't the only one. You, you'll be familiar, many of you, with, with Jesus on the cross when he cried out, despite the, the pain and the injustice and, and the imminent death, despite the fact that he knew what he was doing, he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Again, a prayer for the sinner, separating them from the sin. And that's what, that's what this beatitude teaches us. 
Mercy is so important in the world. Mercy allows us to, to separate the sinner from the sin. It means that we love the person. We love the person as much as Jesus did. We love the person and we, we, we hate the sin. We are driven. We are despised. We are, we are completely, completely against the sin that they, that they may have performed, may have carried out, the thing that may have plagued their life. But we still love them. We still love them. An incredibly hard teaching. A teaching which we will never fully master. We're not meant to fully master, but we're meant to keep on going. To keep on going and going and going. Keep on trying. Keep on recognizing our own, our own sin in ourselves. You see, sometimes we can be a bit too much like Jonah. Some of you will know the story of Jonah. He was told to go to Nineveh, which was a place um, which the, 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 the inhabitants of Nineveh, they were not nice people. Um, if you go to the British Museum, you can see a mural on a wall and um, it tells a story. And if you... If you don't have a guide, then you see um, an army, you see what looks like some sort of a siege, and then you see um, uh, the, the, the siege coming to an end, and then you see some soldiers um, helping their comrades getting undressed. Okay, fair enough. When you have a proper guide, they explain what's going on, and they explain the, the context and the situation of the, the, the armies and the, the, the siege and everything, and then they explain that those soldiers at the end, they're not getting undressed. No, no, no. The, the inhabitants of Nineveh were feared throughout the, the world at that point because they were known when they took prisoners in a battle, they skinned them alive. And that's what's being depicted on the wall of the British Museum. They were barbaric. So Jonah, understandably, when God says, go and preach to Nineveh and tell them they've got to turn their ways or they'll be destroyed, Jonah, he, he turns on his heels and he runs. And then he gets on a boat and there's a storm and he gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by a big fish, then spewed up on the, on the shore. And eventually he agrees to go to Nineveh. Now I know I've just brushed over the bit which most people would say, whoa, 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 that's what Jonah's all about. But just we'll do that another time, I, I promise you. Um, but when Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh, we have, this, we have a great example of, of, of the wrestle that he has with God's mercy. Because sometimes we struggle with, with God's mercy. God, why have you allowed that to happen? Why, why have they got away with that? Why hasn't justice been done? Because we want justice on our terms. Jonah. We're told in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message that I gave you. Jonah obeyed. So off he goes. He goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was a really large city. It took three days to go through it. So this is it's, it's a lot bigger than Norwich. Um, it's a big old place. The Ninevites listened to Jonah preaching. The guy was terrified. But they did something which he was probably really relieved about at the time. Chapter 3, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. They listened to what he was saying. They listened to this message. They believed him. A fast was proclaimed. They were all told to, um, to go and put on sackcloth and... When the king of Nineveh heard, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. 
And then in verse 10 we read, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. God says to him, is it right for you to be angry? You see, we need to be a people who recognize mercy in the world, who recognize God's mercy in the world. Because for Jonah, he was, he'd gone to Nineveh, they were an enemy, he'd preached, they'd, they'd reacted, he probably felt fantastic. When you preach a sermon and someone comes and says, oh, I really enjoyed that, it makes you feel good. But when they say, I've listened to what you've said, and so I've decided that, um, that I, need to, um, I need to stop coming to this church, and I need to go, go somewhere else because I'm needed there. That'll make you feel so good. You think, no, 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 you enjoyed it. No, stay, stay, stay. No, don't. Oh. And with Jonah, with Jonah, he thinks, I haven't, hey, they, look at this. This is, this is great. Sackcloth, ashes, dust, misery, fantastic. But God doesn't destroy this, this people. Instead, God honors his word. He warned them that he would destroy them if they didn't turn. They turned, and so he doesn't destroy them. And Jonah's angry. And God said, is it right for you to be angry? To which, of course, the answer has to be no. It's never right for us to be angry with God. When we feel that anger at something that, that God's allowed to happen or God's done, it's because we haven't understood. And sometimes we can't understand because God has, has this, this, this overarching view of the entire narrative of creation that we're not privy to. But sometimes we just need to reflect and maybe put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Or consider a situation from a different perspective. Or consider, God forbid, that we might have been wrong. As we read the Beatitudes, we come to realize that mercy is so important in our faith. And part of mercy is recognizing that we need mercy just as much as anybody else out there in the world and sometimes sometimes we have to put ourselves in their situation to realize that I remember a few years ago I had a conversation with a friend of mine um, him and his wife had a, a daughter she was a couple of years old and his wife was off on a spa weekend somewhere so so my friend had his daughter for the weekend and they were having a great time and he knew he wanted to take her out to the park and have fun. Uh, he also knew they had to go to, to a supermarket and do shopping because he'd been left a list. And um, so he had his list and he said to his daughter, listen, listen, this afternoon, do you want to go and have fun? Yeah. yeah do, you want, do you want to go and see a movie? Yeah. Do you want to go out to the park? <gasps> yeah. Brilliant. Okay, well, look, first of all, we, we've got to go, got to go shopping. Got to go to the supermarket. Mummy's left this list. We've got to go and do it. Okay, but, but we'll go and do all this fun stuff later. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And so they get there, they, they get out of the car, they get um, to the supermarket. And within about a minute, the daughter is moaning and groaning and, oh, I want to go home, oh, I don't want to be here. And two minutes in, she's, she's crying and he, he's, getting, he's getting annoyed and she's throwing a bit of a paddy and eventually he thinks, right, I've had enough of this, I, I need to, this isn't right, she knows she's getting treated later on, I need to address this. And so what he did was... He, he knelt down to her level and said, listen. And suddenly someone whacked him with a handbag, a woman reaching across. And he thought, oh. And then, and then he said, whoa, 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 move out of the way. There's a trolley coming. Um, 
yeah, go on, past you go. Right, now, listen. And at that point, the tannoy came on, and it was, it was, it was loud, and he, he, he couldn't hear himself talking, so waited for a minute. And then he said, right. That, and then suddenly someone reached across to grab a, a tin of beans or something, and he found himself uncomfortably close to an intimate area, and he didn't like that at all. And there were all these things going on, and he suddenly realised that if he was having to walk around this supermarket in these conditions, he too would be miserable, throwing a paddy and probably eventually bursting into tears. And so do you know what he did? And I've always respected him for this. He scooped her up, he said, come on, let's go. He left his trolley, and off they went. God sent his son into the world to walk amongst us, to be buffeted by the handbags and the trolleys, to be deafened by the tannoys and the distractions, to be subjected to the, the challenges, the problems, the awkward situations, the really annoying trappings of life which perhaps don't exist in heaven. He sent Jesus in the world so that Jesus came down to our level looked us in the eye, experienced it, and then says, come on, let's go. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus. Jesus being sent into the world was the ultimate act of mercy, the ultimate act of, of mercy from a merciful God we're called to be Christ-like in the way that we live our lives. And so the challenge from this beatitude is to take some time to truly reflect on what God's done for us. That's not just a quick reminder, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me, hallelujah, amen, we're saved. It's just stopping and having those uncomfortable moments where we, we confront and acknowledge our own sin. And then having that incredible moment where we recognize that despite everything, that love that motivated God to send his son into the world is still just as strong as it ever has been and it ever will be. And it's a love directed at you individually, at me individually, at everybody out there individually. And so let us live lives of mercy, separating the sin from the sinner and loving the sinner in the way that God loves us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to share communion together. And if you haven't um, if you didn't pick up a communion pod on the way in, then please raise a hand um, and one of our stewards will bring one over to you. Let's pray. Merciful God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son into our world to reconcile us to you. We thank you that because of your love, because of Jesus being sent to us, we have a way back to you. We have an opportunity to call you Father. 
God, we thank you for the teaching that we've read this morning. We thank you, Lord, for that reminder of the importance of living lives of mercy. We thank you that mercy is not something that should be begged and pleaded for at the point of of giving up, but instead, mercy is something that we should look to practice in our daily lives. Father, help us do that. Help us to be the people that you would have us be. Help us to be obedient to your teaching. And help us to celebrate. Celebrate the love that you have for us. And Father, as we, as we prepare to come before this communion and share together as a fellowship, to be obedient to the instruction of Jesus, to do this in remembrance of him. Father God, right now in these few moments, we, we bring our sin before you. We ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you for your love and for your grace. So Father, in these moments, hear our prayers. Lord God, we bring before you those people who have prayed for earlier and others who who can't be with us for other reasons today, whether illness, whether holiday, whether work. Father God, we, we lift them up to you and we pray that right now, wherever they are and whatever they're doing, they know. They know your presence with them. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon these elements, the bread, the wine. We thank you for what they represent. We thank you for the body and blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you for what we are about to share together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we prepare to share communion together, let's just remind ourselves of of what communion means, of what communion is. Communion is, is an ancient tradition in the Jewish faith. But Jesus took the Passover meal, which is, which is what he was celebrating with his disciples one evening in an upper room in Jerusalem the day before he was, he was crucified. He took the Passover meal and he said, I've been looking forward to sharing this time with you. But this was a meal that was slightly different because this wasn't just the annual Passover Jesus knew that this was both the end of the old and the start of the new. He knew that there would never be the need for a Passover before uh, again. He knew that there was going to be a sacrifice the next day. In a culture where sacrifice was a daily occurrence, he knew that the next day something was going to change because there was going to be one sacrifice and after that there would never need to be another one. And he was excited about that except for one minor point. He knew that it wasn't a lamb or a dove or an oxen that was going to be slaughtered the next day. He knew that it was him. It was him. And he knew that he'd been sent by his father, God. He knew that he was the son of God. 
He was without sin, the only person who's ever walked the earth who can claim to have been without sin. And because of his purity, the power of the sacrifice of Jesus meant that there would never need to be another sacrifice again. He paid the price for the sin of the world up to that point, the sin of the world that was yet to come. He did it for you, he did it for me, he did it for the whole world, the whole of the human race. And all those who choose to follow Jesus, to claim him as their Lord and Saviour, those who repent and say, Lord, I need you in my life. You are my, my Saviour. They are invited to obediently follow Jesus' instruction to do this in remembrance of him. When Jesus stood amongst his disciples in the upper room and he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so now I invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he is Lord of your life, then please take the bread or the wafer or whatever you have in your hand and it represents the same thing, the body of our Lord. Let's eat together. Jesus then took the cup and as he poured the wine he said this is my blood poured out for you I'm sure you would have seen headlines this week about what happens when rivers stop flowing when there is no water left in the land, we see fires, we see drought, we see crops failing, all these awful things happening. If the blood of Jesus stops flowing, then that same thing happens on a spiritual basis. There is drought, there is no fruit, there is suffering and there is pain. And we, we are the ones who keep that river going. Jesus' blood never stops flowing, it is available to each and every person in the world if they choose to truly turn to him. We must take that and saturate the world with his love. Let's drink together. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to no more, then please come and speak to myself or one of the leaders after the service. You'll see the leadership board out on the wall out there. We'd love to, to share our faith with you. But right now, let's pray. Let's finish with worship. And then let's go and get some refreshment and fresh air and thank God for the fresh air outside. Lord, 
We thank you for your presence with us this morning. Lord God, we thank you for the power of your word, for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love, for your never-ending mercy. And we thank you that one day we will join you in the kingdom of heaven. Father God, right now, we, we pray you will hear our worship and we pray that as we, as we leave this place, you will bless us, that we will take that blessing with us, that we will, we will share it with those that we meet, that they will see in us something which is tangibly different to other people that they meet because we have the, the glow of your abundant love about us. Bless us, we pray, as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.